Now, what we've learned about Stephen, we uh, we know we we take a glimpse. Uh, Was well, a couple weeks ago. Dwayne, thank you much for filling in. Um, got very capable people around here. Eldon filled in, you know, and he's uh, he's done that here before. He did it up at Millersburg, and you got to share with us down what Springfield was. And then people go down there and are going to be going down there to see what this fuss is all about. Would you guys say it was a pretty good thing? <laughs> wonderful thing. That's they're, great. They're going to put a permanent one in Washington, D.C. of all of this. Permanent? So that it can all be preserved. Yeah, they're really putting the resources into it to make it permanent because there are very few folks or uh organizations or anything that are actually trying to preserve this history that you know the church is built on. And so they're one of the few that are putting a lot of resources into making it happen so that generations can continue to now, how do you often do they exciting. have with the one down here, or do they support them all the time? They, it is the what, Green family. family, 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 family they are the yeah. driving force behind right. all. No kidding. So, yeah, and uh, you know, and and like said, Bob, I mean, the the, the uh, private collectors and and other places like the British Museum or whatever it is that has uh, so many things. Uh, well, you can go to the British Museum, but uh, so many of the private collectors, it's just that uh, you know you can't go to them; it's not open to the public. Wouldn't it be interesting if our president would walk in there and oh, wow. be enlightened by <laughs> biblical truth? <laughs> Isn't it? That's what I think everybody's saying, right? Washington, D.C., Springfield, Missouri, yes. <laughs> <laughs> We uh reminding the people in there what this country is. Need the truth as it were. This subject tonight, Dennis, about Jesus and about the Old Testament and the New Testament. There was one Bible there, a very big one, because it was one I could actually read some of the words in. I don't see too good. But it was one that I could actually read, and it was turned right to the. Uh, I don't remember which one it was, but it was turned right to the. Uh, uh, the dividing between the Old and the New Testaments. And at the end of the Old Testament page, there, Malachi, the very end, it said, uh, this this uh, ends the writing of the prophets, or something like that. And then the next page was, this is the New Testament of the Lord, our Lord Jesus Christ. You know, it was like, just, you know, there he is in the prophets. Now we're going to see what that was all about. Shine the light on. Yeah, uh, that's great. Well, that's uh, that's just that's just great. <laughs> well, for those that can't go, um, I did realize you cannot take pictures or videos in there, and they even had a little display encased in the. Mardell Bookstore down there that they also own, a uh, Christian educational bookstore uh, where we went, and they had a little display there, and they didn't even uh, want people to take pictures of that. Um, and But they have taken their own, and they have posted them on their own website, on their own Facebook page, and things like that, so people that cannot they are beautiful. There are ways you can look in, at this information and get some of the information you know, that way. Great. Sherry and I uh, 
<coughs> have a Barb has it right now, but uh, we have a uh, documentary or whatever. No, it's a uh, DVD. It's only about 30 minutes, but it shows the highlights of of it. So for people that aren't able to make it, uh, it's, it's very yeah. good. And they have a, a, a Bible scholar that is explaining what you're looking at and why it's there. Good glimpse. Hey, while I go, when I first came in here, it's actually it was kind of cool. It's cold in here, actually. And so I turned the air off. Is it getting stuffy in here, though, now? You guys think so, too. If somebody wants to take care of that, either you can turn the air on or we could I don't, we could probably open the doors or something, but probably the air would be good. Did I? Matter of fact, the air, I think I turned it totally off. Oh, maybe but yeah, all of a sudden it just started getting warm. It was it was really it was cold in here. The air conditioner had been running, so sorry about that. Um, okay, we know about Stephen. He's one of the chosen leaders uh, in in the early church. We know he's quite the dynamic person. He's full of the Holy Spirit. He's full of faith. He is full of grace. You remember that? He is full of power. And so you look at that, and he's just being led along along by God. And he's preaching to Jews who were kind of removed from Israel. Um, they're they're like Hellenistic Jews. They're they're Gentilish type Jews. They had their own synagogues in Jerusalem. So he would go and preach and teach there. And whenever he went there, of course, it stirred up quite the, uh, uh, I guess, emotions amongst the people there. They're Jewish. It would get some of them very hot, very mad. That's what we're talking about. Because he'd be proclaiming the Messiahship of Christ, that he's been here. Many would listen. And probably many became Christians because of that. But as a result of that, and uh, what he's been preaching, he was arrested. We saw that. And he was charged with blasphemy. And they said he blasphemes God. He blasphemes Moses, which means he blasphemes the law, and he blasphemes the, their, their temple, the tabernacle, their temple. Those are the most sacred things that you could have in Israel. <laughs> and they're saying that he blasphemed all of those. So what he's going to do is defend himself, and more importantly, proclaim Christ. But that one of the elements in here is defending what his belief is. He's defending what Christianity is about. And uh, and you remember who he's before. He's before the Supreme Court of the nation. He's before the council. And the reason they are all coming together to do that is the threat of Christianity is huge. It's made such an impact in Jerusalem and it, it's extending itself outside of Jerusalem. And, of course, uh, you have a panic going on. Uh, the whole ecclesiastical system that the Jews have for themselves is getting ready to just come apart at the seams if they don't stop this because people by the thousands are coming to Christ because of this message. So Stephen is quite a dynamic force uh, in with the rest of the apostles. Um, quite a voice for Christianity, isn't he? I mean, this this man is, is quite the man of God. Uh, he gets captured. They charged him with blasphemy. They trump up the charges, give false testimony, just like what they did with Jesus, of course. And uh, Stephen begins uh, with his opportunity. 
He takes the opportunity, preaches this sermon. It's very hard. It's like the sermons that pre, uh, that we've seen recorded uh, that are put down in Acts that um, uh, Peter has done. There are four things that you keep seeing as you go through this chapter or this sermon. One of them is that he piques their interest. He gets their interest. That's one of the first things you want to do when you when you talk dialogue, communicate, preach a gospel to people, witness whatever you how you were going to term that. But you want to get their interest. And he definitely does that. Number two is that he's defending the fact that they're calling him a blasphemer. And it's actually quite the opposite. They're the ones blaspheming. He's not. But he he proves that what he has been preaching is true. It's found in their scriptures. The third thing that he wants to do is indict them. He wants to convict them of their sin. And the fourth thing is that he presents Christ. Now, that's the most important thing. But to, to, to get him where they need to see him, he has to back up, go through the story that they know so well, and say, how can you call me a blasphemer? How can you call me a blasphemer of God, of Moses, of, uh, of, the, of the tabernacle, the law? Because he gives a dynamic sermon that supports all of those and he, everything he's in favor of. So they don't have any really charge to, um, to get, but he does indict them and he presents the Messiah. And of course, every message really has to be focusing on that, doesn't it? So we're gonna we're gonna divide it up. We have um, what we're gonna see here is the call of Abraham. So we see Abraham till the time of the Babylonian captivity, somewhere around there, or you have uh, Joseph uh, also in there. I forgot in Egypt. We know who Joseph is. Then you have Moses, the deliverer. Okay, and then what we get out of that is I think that the tabernacle. Because he has to bring that up, that they're saying that he, they're charging him on blasphemy on that, and then he shows the conviction uh, of the word of God, what it does, and he calls them what they are. They are stiff necks, the stiff necks. So um, this is the killer sermon. What a defense of the faith, and um, quite a few verses here, quite a chapter, but it's the story. It really sums up the Old Testament in one chapter, I think, in an incredible way. And if you want to get a good overall view of the Old Testament, it's a pretty good chapter to do. To get a, a big picture of it. If you can memorize this, you have a pretty good summary of the, of the Old Testament if you ever were thrown in prison for the faith. Certainly would. Be a good chapter to memorize. Yeah. Definitely would be. Uh, he definitely remembered, uh, remembered a lot of verses because he quotes a lot of Old Testament passages here. And many you'll be familiar with, or he gets the story in, you know, the story of Moses from the time of his birth, and then how God called him and used him as the deliverer. Um, so in in uh, chapter seven, verse one, and why don't we uh, go into prayer? Father, we thank you for who you are, and we know that this is about you. This is about the Son. This is about the power of God's Spirit. This is about the triune God, as it always is. Your Word is always um, pointing to uh, you. It's having us to look at you in a fuller way. Even though we know this story, may there be some things here that jump out at us, that uh, just come alive for us, that 
uh, we'd be able to use in our own lives so that we could glorify you more. We know Stephen just glorified you in the most excellent way of preaching the very Word of God and the Gospel to most of the people that did not want to hear this. And he knew that he could be persecuted, could be killed with the statements that he made, but he just brought forth truth. And uh, may that make an impact on us and um, that we would be bold in proclaiming your word. In your son's name, amen. Well, yes. i got a couple of comments that you can dismiss them if you want to. But verse 13, verse 6, chapter 6, verse 13, they put forth false witnesses. Mm. These weren't false witnesses. The things they said were true. Uh, they said this man incessantly speaks against this holy place and the law. We've heard him say that this Nazarene Jesus will destroy this place and alter the customs which Moses handed down to us. And the high priest in verse 1 says, The priest said, Are these things so? And the answer to that is yes. Why are they called false witnesses? That's my well, they are not false witnesses of what he said, and he, in all of his explanation to chapter seven, he's agreeing with what they are accusing him of of being a false witness. Well, the the they're saying first of all that he speaks against the law, or he speaks against Moses, or he speaks against the tabernacle. It's not that he's against those, but he's going to show that. Christ is the fulfillment of it. What they were trying to do is make him look like that he was against everything that had happened in the Old Testament, that he was one who was against anything that God had put forth in the Old Testament. And that would be... And, of course, the Word itself says that. They put forward false witnesses. And, and of course, the, Luke, the writer, is saying that. That's that's him inspired. So but then he says that uh, he will destroy this place and alter the customs which Moses handed down, and that's exactly what he did. That's exactly what was going to happen. That's, you know. Uh, well, I guess in a spiritual sense, I think yeah, I think what they're trying to say though is that he himself is going to come in and physically destroy. It. Well, the same charges with Jesus, for instance. It's almost the same kind of charge. Of course, Jesus wasn't himself going to tear that down, although really he did. <laughs> but, you know, they were saying the charge that he had, or what they were saying is that he's going to come in and destroy the place. He's going to vandalize and, the you know, So it's, it's almost identical. My answer to all those charges would just been simple enough. Yeah. Stephen <laughs> yeah. goes on yeah. to use all of the chapter 7 right. to say exactly the same thing. <laughs> right. The bed overstated what he was saying. Yeah. And they also castigated his character uh, by saying that he's coming. Which I'm just reaffirming what you just said, Dennis. That, that uh, you know they're they are coming against his character, uh, just as they did against Jesus. The false witnesses that came against Jesus. Um, you know, so in that sense, they're false witnesses also. Right. I mean, and, you know, that that very same thought had occurred to me in the past, though, and I know it's the same. Well, I'd be a man of many words for a few words and just say no. <laughs> Stephen said, oh, thanks for the opportunity. Yeah. <laughs> Here we go. <laughs> exactly. uh, I got the floor. Let me explain to you all. Yeah, and it, it seems where where the gospel is at work, uh, you know, with real power, you know, 
the devil's always right there trying to slander and create doubt and bring charges that they could even bring the charge the charges can be true but it's because of the understanding that uh, or misunderstanding that's going on that you can you can say well these charges are true yeah that's exactly what I'm saying that, that Jesus is the Christ or whatever <clears throat> but you know what they mean is they're saying well you're you're in error because that's not what our law you know our law tells us that the Messiah is not here you know or, or we believe that he's not the Messiah so it's you know the whole idea of the devil is always behind this of trying to um, bring doubts and bring um, dismiss yeah and and to slander the work of Christ and the, the death of Christ and you know the resurrection all these th- you know to bring all these things to nothing um, and so they're coming against him with false intentions or false uh, you know with evil intent I guess that's kind of the way we call twisting the words right mm-hmm. twisting the words and and uh, trying to make it seem like what well just like they were accusing Jesus of working for the devil you know you're doing the wrong thing you know they're 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 trying to they're being false in the fact that they're trying to disparage or 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 make what what's the scripture uh, where men say that calling good evil and evil good yeah. they're just trying to turn it back upside down the other way right. typical crooked lawyer <laughs> you know false what they are I would say that if Bobby were here yeah. yeah hey I say it all the time she knows it's okay I think <laughs> but that's that's a pattern that you see in in all, you know all where righteousness is you know that the, the devil's always trying to come against that and, and to have and to show that yeah he's got something on on Jesus which the Bible proclaims that he never did have anything on him right he never never could prove anything never had a thing yeah, yeah that's uh, so and of course if you back up to verse eleven uh, they secretly induced men to say we have heard him speak blasphemous words against Moses and against God. Yeah, there's always these secret meetings. There's always this clandestine uh, agenda. I mean, what's that about? You know, these things are are being done in a dark corner, and now they're going to be revealed in the light. You know, light's going to. And it's funny, Jesus was always out in the open, out in the light. The apostles have been out in the open. They would go to the temple. It wasn't in dark corners. These guys are. They're getting together and they're trying to figure out how can we get, we couldn't, you know. And whatever Stephen may have said about the changes of the customs or whatever, that doesn't mean that they were ignoring the truth. No. Matter of fact, it's as positive as can be. He doesn't even say anything against Moses where Moses had some shortcomings you know but he doesn't he doesn't do that you know he's you know he's all in favor of Moses all in favor of the law all in favor of the tabernacle but then he shows what, what this is ultimately pointing to and of course it's the Messiah and that's really what it's all about but he definitely gets their attention they're, they're saying that he blasphemes against Moses against God 
And, of course, the high priest said, are these things so? Well, they've already got in their mind what they're going to do. This thing's already made up what they're going to do. But they make it look like they have a court case. But, uh, obviously, by the time you see the end of this, um, they have nothing on him, and all they do is kill him, uh, like a mob. You know, it wasn't done in an orderly way, even, even that at all. So there's the high priest, and he says that to make it look like this is being carried out. And Stephen takes off from there. I'm glad you asked. <laughs> and he said, and here we go. And he gets their attention. Hear me. And look at this. He calls them brethren. And fathers. Okay? They're the leaders. Calls them fathers. Now, he's going to talk about the fathers of the patriarchs and some of those in the Old Testament that did the same thing that they're doing. But he says, the God of glory. He starts off with this. The God of glory. Now, they're saying he says things against God. So, what does he say? He's the God of glory. I mean, that's a good way to call God the God of glory. He acknowledges the very fullness. I believe in God. I believe that God is a glorious God. I mean, what better word can you think of? The God of all glory. I mean, that's what we're, we're shooting for, right? I mean, we, we love to be in the midst of uh, God of glory, a great Creator, awesome God. I believe in the God of Israel. I believe in the God over all, the awesome God. Um, so they accuse him of blaspheming God. We see that in, was that verse 11? And he says, wrong. I believe in God. I don't blaspheme him. He's the God of Abraham. He is my God. He's your God. And he starts off with Abraham. And the God of the glory appeared to our father Abraham when he was in Mesopotamia before he lived in Haran. And said to him, is the quote, Leave your country and your relatives and come into the land that I will show you. Goes to Abraham, who happens to be a pagan. God comes in there. And, well, in, in Genesis 12, you remember that story? Uh, how God appears to him. It says in verse 1, Now the Lord said to Abram, after you've had 11 chapters of Genesis, it takes you up there, and now he comes to Abram. There's no Jews at that time. He is the father of the Jews. Go forth from your country and from your relatives and from your father's house to the land which I will show you and I will make you a great nation. I will bless you and make your name great. So you shall be a blessing and I will bless those who bless you and the one who curses you I will curse. And in you all the families of the earth will be blessed. And of course, Abram listens to God. He goes out, does what God says. It's over a course of many years. But he does uh, do this. He was uh, one of faith. God granted that faith to this man. And uh, uh, here it is. Stephen is starting off with one of the elite. Who else better than Abraham? Because he's the one that got this all started for this nation. And then you use a giant like Moses. I mean, those are the the two extreme elites, you know. So uh, he definitely uses the right people here. He knows the scripture, doesn't he? And uh, so there's the thing about his uh, not believing in God or uh, against God. Starts with a God of glory. 
starts with Abraham, and then he starts defending some of the blasphemy charges that he's getting. He holds their attention. He's got their attention right off the bat here, doesn't he? The God of glory. Uh, the one with Abraham, and they're going, okay, uh, what's he What's he getting at? He, he's not like a cult denying the deity of Christ, denying the Word of God, and those kind of things. They'd love to get him on that, but they, they can't. But he, he has their attention. Uh, in Acts 7, verse 11, we see now a famine came over all Egypt and Canaan, great affliction with it, and our fathers could find no food. There he's speaking, Father Abraham, and then, then you have... Uh, you know, you think of the patriarchs, Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, um, some of those men who were at the very outset of all of this. Um, and so, and in, in that section, if you go on further down, you'll see that, uh, again, he's not blaspheming yeah, any any of those. Yes? Uh, Dennis, this is not a, uh, a particular study at all, but I heard it today on the, uh, on the radio maybe some of, the, some of the rest of you did too, but it, it was so uh, neat. And uh, I wondered about it before myself. I think it'll bless you. Bless everybody. Uh, it was on uh, all the, it used to be three people, I think now it's four, that sit around and talk, uh, Mark DeHaan and, the, and, and that bunch. Right. Uh, anyway, Hedden, Hedden and Alice are gone now. They've got younger people on. But anyway, uh, Mark was talking about uh, how that so many times in the Old Testament, you know, if, uh, Jacob, Jacob's name was changed to Israel, but yet the most common name in the Old Testament is Jacob, and uh, he, he called. He, 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 and even when he's talking about Israel, he's talking, it, it uh, often says Jacob instead of Israel. And uh, and he said, I think, and I just caught this little sound pipe, but he said, I think it's because God wants to show that He is interested in us personally, and that. Just as Jacob had his very obvious faults and problems, he knows us too. He knows us too. I, I, I am not saying it the way he did, but it just really, really blessed me that, yeah, you know, God did. Even after he changed his name to Israel, yet throughout the Old Testament, later with the prophets and stuff, the Psalms and stuff, he talked so often about Jacob, 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 Jacob. And uh, I just thought that was an interesting observation. Yeah, it is. He's still that person. He says the name Jacob is Jacob. teaching moment. That's true too. Yeah. Right. You know, and so you know, instead of Israel, and so uh, I thought that was very interesting. You know, that he believed God did that on purpose. Absolutely. Absolutely. No, I think I get your point there. He's a personal God for sure. Right. So every time I see that now, I'll pay extra attention to why he didn't use Abraham. Well, that um, all the way up through the eight verses, we'll, we'll read through there um, briefly. Leave your country and your relatives, come into the land that I will show you. And he left the land of the Chaldeans settled in Haran. From there, after his father died, God had him move to this country in which you're now living. But he gave him no inheritance in it, not even a foot of ground. And yet, even when he had no child, he was promised that he would give it to him as a possession and to his descendants after him. But God spoke to this effect that his descendants would be aliens in a foreign land 
and that they would be enslaved and mistreated for 400 years. And whatever nation to which they will be in bondage, I myself will judge, said God. And after that, they will come out and serve me in this place. And he gave him the covenant of circumcision. And so Abraham became the father of Isaac, circumcised him on the eighth day, and Isaac became the father of Jacob, and Jacob of the twelve patriarchs. So there's a good summary taking it all the way up to the time of Egypt. That's pretty, uh, that's pretty good. Just in eight verses to sum all that up and still get a pretty good handle on what that is. Um, so he realizes there are other, two other things. Like he, he's done the thing about uh, the blasphemy. He's done the thing about, hey, I, I do believe in this glorious God. But there's the indicting of them with what they have done and how they executed uh, the Messiah, how they killed him. And you also have to present the Messiah. So in this next section, he's going to develop that. So he starts to indict them right there in verse 9 by using the patriarchs, and he, and he uses Joseph here. The patriarchs became jealous of Joseph. Now that is pretty condemning right there because, oh, the fathers, the fathers of the faith. And who was it? You have all the sons of who? Jacob. And what did they do? They became jealous of Joseph. These are the ones that had the tribes of Israel, right? And sold him into Egypt. So that's pretty indicting right there. Yet God was with him and rescued him from all his afflictions and granted him favor, grace, and wisdom in the sight of Pharaoh king of Egypt, and made him governor over Egypt and all his household. God is the one who made him governor. In the place that he went, he wouldn't have had a chance. And look where he gets, at the right hand of, of, the, of the Pharaoh there. What a great position. And really, it was like he was the governor. Now, a famine came over all Egypt and Canaan, and great affliction with it, and our fathers could find no food. But when Jacob heard that there was grain in Egypt, he sent our fathers there the first time. On the second visit, Joseph made himself known to his brothers, and Joseph's family was disclosed to Pharaoh. Then Joseph sent word and invited Jacob, his father, and all his relatives to come to him, 75 persons in all. So he's pretty intricate here. He even gets numbers down here. Jacob went down to Egypt, and there he and our fathers died. From there they were removed to Shechem and laid in the tomb which Abraham had purchased for a sum of money from the sons of Hamor in Shechem. So in 9 through 16, he gets their attention, uses Joseph. Joseph seems like he's the one who has the birthright here in, in the sense. And they rejected him. They sold him for envy. And uh, he sets a pattern for indictment as he brings this forth here. They rejected Joseph. His brothers did, which are called the, the fathers, the fathers of the faith who they hold in high esteem. And Joseph was God's select one that he was going to use in all of this, in his providence, in the way that he put together. This was the select one that he had. Uh, although they had pretty good positions too, but look who gets to be in leading in God's plan. Now, he, what he does is he presents... In, in this section we just read, he presents the Messiah there. Because Joseph is a really good picture of the Messiah. He, he, uh, you have little vignettes here of Joseph. 
You know, he, he sets down just little bitty, little bitty stories, but there's quite the important purpose here. He presents Christ in Joseph as being a picture. Christ was, of course, of Israel, so was Joseph. Christ was sold for envy, so was Joseph. Christ was accepted by the Gentiles, actually, and rejected by Israel. Joseph was too. Christ was humbled, and then he was exalted. So was Joseph, humbled in prison, and then he was exalted in that position that he was given. And Christ was once rejected, but we know the next time we see him will be quite the glorious way. And all his people be there and, of course, receive him. He receives us, but you can see how we look forward to that. As people know who he is. So, um, as, as you see the 16 verses, you get to see those four points all throughout in there that uh, he had given their history and he held their interest. Uh, he's defending this charge of blasphemy by bringing up these individuals and he's indicting them as he's saying, hey, you hold those fathers up. Well, look what they did. And then he presents Jesus in, in the story. Ultimately, we'll, we'll see that come more clear as he develops it. Now what he does is that he brings the giant of the faith, Moses. And he's the deliverer. Now, here's another one who is a really good picture of Christ. He is the deliverer. The one would be coming like Moses, only much greater. Or Moses is like Christ in that sense. But uh, he's saying, hey, uh, not only do I believe in God, but I believe in the leaders that he has used. And um, Abraham, Joseph, Moses... Uh, as he has done that, I think he has been so concise. I think he's been very powerful just in these little short sections, these 16 verses. And so the promise was, God had given the promise, and he's always going to stick with that. He was going to give them the land. But Abraham goes down there, and he doesn't get any land. And we see him in Hebrews 11, and he looked to the city. Really, he's looking much further, right? But there was an area where they would be brought into eventually. And who's going to be the one to bring them in to that promised land? Moses. And of course, the miraculous thing is is that Moses as a baby is allowed to live. Um, they're, they're not in the land when they're in Egypt. They multiply in Egypt. And of course, we know there was an edict by the leader there that didn't know Joseph, didn't know any of those before. The years have gone by. The decree comes down in Exodus 1.22. It says, Every son that's born of them shall be cast into the river. And uh, so they were. That's a monumental uh, edict, isn't it? Uh, kill them, all the uh, male children. But God has a deliverer. He's not going to be stumped. This is his man that he's going to use. And uh, it's interesting that he puts him in the very palace. <laughs> I mean, only God could make this happen. Remember what happened with Joseph? And he's a leader there in Egypt. That would be the enemies, I guess. And here you have Moses, and he's being prepared as a deliverer. And uh, he was known as being exceedingly fair, exceedingly beautiful, um, handsome, elegant. Uh, a lot of things about that. Pick it up, verse 17. But as the time of the promise was approaching, 
the promise of them going into their land. God had assured to Abraham the people increased and multiplied in Egypt. And they did multiply, didn't they? He told uh, Abraham that that would happen. Until there arose another king over Egypt who knew nothing about Joseph. It was he who took shrewd advantage of our race and mistreated our fathers so that they would expose their infants and they would not survive. It was at this time that Moses was born and he was lovely in the sight of God. And he was nurtured three months in his father's home. And after he had been set outside, Pharaoh's daughter, of all people, took him away and nurtured him as her own son. You see how God just weaves in his plan? Using pagans all along. People that hate him, and he still does that today, Some of uh, we're sitting here. <laughs> we were pagans, and yet... He chose us to be in that plan. Isn't that great? Moses was educated in all the learning of the Egyptians. And he was a man of power in words and deeds. Of course, he's approaching 40. So here, here's, here it is. He's very learned. Yeah, well, the thing is, what you have here, uh, he says, I, 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 I can't speak. I speak. I, I Stutter. <laughs> you like that? I had to work on that a little bit. No. <laughs> it says here he was a man of power in words and deeds. But he didn't want to go to those people. And of course, I guess it's like he gets the word from God, kind of whispers maybe in the ear of Aaron, and Aaron is a spokesman. But Moses really is the one that God is is using, and and yet you know Aaron becomes quite uh, the servant here too. So God says, "Oh, okay, yeah, fine, yeah, right." Uh, Stephen doesn't even mention that in here. He doesn't mention anything negative about Moses because they said he blasphemes Moses. He blasphemes the law. No, he doesn't. Matter of fact, he's speaking everything as positive as he could. And he's saying how God used him in such a way, and he was learned in, in all the of all the Egyptians uh, living in the palace and such. And it doesn't sound like he's putting down Moses, does it? Um, matter of fact, he's building him up here. And he was not only exceedingly fair and beautiful and handsome, but he was learned. Um, the Egyptians, we are told, were masters of geometry. They knew medicine. You've heard about some of the brain surgeries that they must have done. Um, they were masters of astronomy. Now, granted, they take that just like what people do today. They have great intelligence and they take it and they go outside the box of what God has given. God gives great intelligence. There are very intelligent pagans in this world, much smarter than most Christians even. The wisdom of the world. But what do they do with it? They don't do it for the glory of God. They do it for their own glory. And so what do they do? They come up with crazy thinking that goes totally opposite of what God is about. But he has this wisdom. He had great advantages like uh, Saul had before he became Paul. And then God uses that and uses it for his own glory as he's able to do that. You're, uh, so he's saying... The ones who blasphemed are the fathers. The fathers blasphemed Moses. They rejected him. Because, matter of fact, when he came to him the first time, uh, one man had seen what he had done and he said, Hey, you're going you're gonna to kill us too? Like you did, you know? 
and uh, he was ready to take them, take them with him. He came down from the palace. He condescended down to these slaves who were his people. Jesus did that too, didn't he? He condescended from the throne to uh, his people. And he got rejected. Um, they said, who made you a ruler and a judge? And of course, then we know 40 years old. And of course, we, we know later then he has this um, the bush, the burning bush. And um, we, we know all those stories. But the Jews say, well, if Jesus had been our Messiah, we would have known it. That's the excuse of the Jews. If, he, if that really was Him, we would have known it. Yeah, they had the Scriptures. They had the miracles. They had everything. I mean, total, absolute revelation of who the Messiah was right in front of them and His words and His deeds. And they'll still say, if He would have been here, we would have recognized Him. Well, guess what? And Stephen is saying, you missed Him. Guess what? You missed Joseph. You missed, you actually missed Moses. You know, really, if, if, even though they're saying Moses, but yet they twist the law of what he had written via the Holy Spirit. And he's presenting, as you go along in this story, and of course we're going to have to cut here, but um, he presents Messiah. Because if you turn to Deuteronomy 18.15, Moses is a beautiful picture of what Christ is like. Of course, he's not Christ. He's not the Messiah. But he gives a good illustration. The Old Testament is filled with illustrations. The tabernacle is an illustration of Christ. The feast of Passover, for instance, is a, an illustration of Christ. I mean, all throughout there, it's, it's showing who He is in tangible ways and in through people. Even though Moses had a lot of negative things about Him, uh, there were a lot of things that um, definitely is pointing uh, to the Messiah. Uh, I said Exodus. Did I say Exodus 18:15? Deuteronomy. Yeah, thank you. I was going. It's not in Exodus. I'm glad I didn't say that, but I about did. Or did I? The Lord your God will raise up for you a prophet like me. This is Moses speaking. From among you, from your countrymen, you shall listen to him. There will be a prophet like him. Only he's going to be greater. He's going to be God. But he's saying somewhat like Moses is in his in his leadership of them and taking uh, all the ruler rulership. Uh, you know, a great prophet. Jesus is the answer to what the prophets are about. Moses came down from a place. Moses released men in bondage. That's what Christ does. He condescended. Moses was rejected that first time. Uh, and we know that um, Jesus was too. He was rejected by Israel. But um, still yet, He turned and raised up the seed in the church. It goes to the Gentiles. Uh, a great Redeemer, Moses was. He redeemed them out of their bondage. People are set free. Moses was even a shepherd. Jesus is our chief shepherd. Our great shepherd. The good shepherd. So, Moses was out there 40 years being a shepherd. Can you imagine with all the learning that he had? God said, okay, alright, fine. I will, 
I'll have him learn some more things. And uh, he, he, he definitely, if he wasn't humbled before this, he was now. He was a very humble man. Moses actually was, it says in Scripture. Forty years is a long time. Yeah. Long Forty time. years. Forty years. That's a long time. It's a long time. Some of you here haven't even approached half the 40. Most of us have. <laughs> so, I think you could say Stephen is a master in presenting this as he is being filled with God's Spirit. Remember, that's that's the key. He recites their history. Moses here is brought forth and that charge about blaspheming the law. Uh, he indicts them. He gives them quite the shot whom our fathers would not obey. And when he's saying that, and by the end, you'll see why he keeps saying the fathers, because that's who they're considered to be of Israel. And uh, he gives them quite the shot. We'll, we'll, we'll end up there and um, finish with it next week. And um, I, I, I think it's tremendous. You see this thing as a whole. You know, Just kind of read through it. Give yourself a, a refresher course. And you'll say, wow, Stephen knew the Bible knew it very well and he packed it up so much it's just hard to imagine the whole really a good summary in one chapter to do that my it would take me many chapters to you know to take a lot of words to make it say what I'd want I'd still fall short it would, it would just go on and on and, and still not get the message and he does it here via the Holy Spirit in a way that uh, just gets it across yeah I'm <laughs> yeah, that's what I'm saying, see? Yeah. Why does it take me so long to get through all this? <laughs> I couldn't even get through a whole chapter today. No. <laughs> but uh, he, he knew Scripture. He's filled with God's Spirit. And with that, and then this also being in inspiration. Have you ever read a more powerful sermon? There it is. Incredible. A lot of places that others had not yet went into the outside of what did you call them, like the foreign, the Hellenist Jews and stuff like that. And it was a good way to remind them of history and how constantly history missed the point that the Messiah had came. Yeah. They missed the point. And these people were the ones who had seen him. They had convicted the Messiah. They were the guard of God to make sure things were done right according to God. That's who they would set a position with. And Stephen said, saying that you missed it. You missed the whole point. That's what he's saying. You missed it all. What a shame. It really is. Power of God's Word. Let's close in prayer. Father, we thank You for Your Word. Thank You for Your truth. Thank You for Your people. Just being able to come together and just uh, concentrate on You and kind of getting some thoughts of how You worked and providentially dealing. And this is all Your plan. Lord, and it's an incredible story. The the story is Yours. And uh, it is, even though we've heard it maybe all of our lives or many years, we know that it just keeps coming more alive 
because we see you directing this. You wrote it, you directed it, and the star is your son. And we are drawn to him. Thank you, Lord, for your great grace as you favored people like Joseph, you favored Abraham, you favored Moses, all those men that you chose, not only as leaders, but uh, your own children. Uh, you have highly bestowed your great grace and mercy. And we experienced that same grace that they did. Even though nobody may know us much, uh, it doesn't matter, you do. And we're so thankful. And um, this is the word that is still alive. Thank you, Lord. Amen. Amen. Yes. 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 Yes.